Presbyterians, but come on. Amen. That was glorious. The children can now be dismissed for Children's Church for those families that want to participate in that ministry. And while they're doing that, please open up your copy of God's Word to John chapter 10. John 10. Well, we carry on this morning in our Advent series looking at the great I Am statements all found in the Gospel of John. And this morning we come to the fourth of Jesus' seven I Am statements. I am the Good Shepherd. And of course, it's embedded in the text in which Christ gives the third I Am statement. I am the door. The two are uniquely linked. And of course, you know that everybody passes through doors each and every day. And really and truly, every human being has a shepherd in this life, whether they realize it or not. But the question that is set before us today is, do we pass through the right door? And do we have the right shepherd? So hear God's word, John chapter 10, verses 7 to 18. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The word of the Lord to us. Well, brothers and sisters, the historical context for this passage of Scripture here in John 10 is the growing battle that we see between Jesus and the religious elites of the day, the Pharisees. You see, as we walk through the pages of John, we see that Jesus declares more and more boldly his lordship, his messiahship, and he couples that with greater signs and wonders. And for some, of course, the response is faith and worship. Hallelujah. But sadly, for so many, the response is rejection, unbelief, and hostility towards Jesus. But you know, Jesus is the one who said, you will know a tree by its fruit. And that's true of him as well. And so he says, come 
and check me out. See me, who I am and what I am and what I do. And make your decision of who it is that you want to shepherd over you. You see, the seven I am statements of Jesus, which are yoked together with specific miracles, function really as a living mini Christology. It declares for us the reality of who Jesus is in his essence, his nature, and also who Jesus is in his work, his vocation, his calling to come forth to bring salvation. That's what we see in these seven I am statements. Just think about it. The first one, the bread of life. He is the life force that sustains true life. The next one, the water of life. He washes us clean of our sins. He, he gives us new life. He cleanses us and sustains us in the wilderness of this life. And then the light of life. He exposes our sin and our need for righteousness, for his righteousness by the power of his Holy Spirit. And following this claim, I am the light of the world, Jesus does an amazing miracle. He gives a man who was born blind sight, who probably didn't even have eyes in his sockets. He gives him sight and he declares, I am the light of the world. And of course, he did that on the Sabbath because the Lord Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so at this stage, the Pharisees were the, the shepherd of God's people. They were the shepherds, even though they were false shepherds. And so in John chapter 10, Jesus fulfills the prophecy, part of which we read already from Ezekiel chapter 34, that the Son of Man, who is the Son of God, would come forth and shepherd the people of God. That Jesus, the true shepherd, would come forth and he would identify the false shepherds. He would call them out, those that seek to manipulate the sheep and abuse the sheep. That's the context for this. Jesus is showing that he fulfills the prophecy of old. All the prophecies that are messianic prophecies are fulfilled in him. He's the good shepherd. And as I said, he does this on the heels of healing a man born blind. And what did the Pharisees do? What did the false shepherds do to this man? They excommunicate him. They throw him out of the synagogue. They throw him out of the church. But what does the good shepherd do? He saves this man. He loves this man. He ministers to this man. And this is what Jesus claims. I am Jehovah in the flesh. And that's why the Pharisees picked up stones to kill him. So this is the Jesus of time and space and eternity, the Savior of his people. And he stands before even us today in the preaching and reading of his gospel and before his table, and he says, check me out. Look to me. Look at my claims and make a choice. Who will you choose? There is a choice. Look, listen, choose. Who will be your shepherd? Well, the false shepherds, of course, are thieves and they steal and they kill and they destroy their hirelings and their cowards. But the Lord Jesus is the good shepherd and he stands before us and beckons us to come to him for life. Well, that brings us to our first main point this morning. The Lord Jesus Christ is the good shepherd because he embodies salvation. That's what we see in verses 7 and 9. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. 
This is what Doug preached so beautifully last week. The reality of the exclusive nature of Christ as the embodiment of salvation. There is no other salvation. There is no other way. There is no other ark of salvation. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And of course, the world fallen in sin sees this as a great negative. Sinners don't believe they need a savior. But Jesus comes and says, I am the embodiment of salvation. I'm the only way. Notice he doesn't say, I am a door, but I am the door. Exclusive. That's why Peter preached in Acts chapter 4, neither is there salvation in any other name. This is what Jesus declares about himself. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And why is that? Well, it's because Jesus, the good shepherd, is utterly unique. He's utterly unique. He is the only God-man. He is the only person in history who is both God and man together in one person. He's unique as the Savior. He is the only way. You know, just as a door has two sides, Jesus has two natures. The divine nature, uncreated. And the glory of the human nature, the mystery of Christmas, the incarnation. Jesus Christ, conceived in the womb of the Virgin by the Holy Spirit, here is this man, the only God-man, the only one who can save because he is unique and he is suitable. This door is suitable as the embodiment of salvation because he is clothed in flesh. Hallelujah. The incarnate deity. Christmas. This is why the, the Son of God said for all eternity past, Father, a body thou hast prepared for me to go forth to save. This is why at Christmas time and throughout the year we can declare with our, our elder sister Ruth, bone of, of my bones and flesh of my flesh, our Savior is suitable to save because he's the God-man. Well, this brings us to our second main point this morning. Christ Jesus is the good shepherd because he affects salvation. He affects salvation. Because of his unique and suitable nature, he is able to work the greatest work that causes our salvation. The work of the good shepherd is to save his sheep. You know, for you uh, Georgia Bulldog fans out there, there's a big game coming up, isn't there? And uh, you probably believe that Stetson Bennett is uniquely suitable as an awesome quarterback. But if he doesn't go out there and throw touchdown passes and run touchdowns, there is no victory. There's no national championship. Sorry, Nancy, but Ohio State's going down. Um, so when we think about Jesus... Yes, he's the embodiment of salvation, but he had to come forth and do the works to effect salvation, to do the glorious work. And, and it's abundantly clear what this glorious work is because he tells us three times in this passage here in John 10, verse 11, verse 13, and verse 17, I lay down my life for the sheep. He's the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep in death. 
He is the good shepherd because he is the righteous lion of Judah who is the only one who has ever lived a life of full obedience to the law of God at every point and in every way. If Jesus just sinned in one point, in one way, he would not have been able to go forth and become the Lamb of God. The John the Baptist declared as he saw him coming, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's because Jesus is the lion lamb. He came forth and he's the one who could go forth to the cross and bring about an atonement. Oh, brothers and sisters, our brokenness and sin and our misery as human beings, we have lost what Adam and Eve had in the garden. That oneness with the Lord, to walk and talk with the Lord, to know fellowship with the Lord. And that's what atonement does. It brings us back to the glorious reality of being at one with the Lord in peace through the blood of his cross. And that's why Isaiah 53 is so beautiful because 700 years before Jesus was incarnate, as the Son of God and the Son of Man, we read about the shepherd king who became the suffering servant. How glorious. Well, Jesus tells us his mission, his great work. He is the good shepherd because he gives his life for the sheep. And this stands out as fundamental to the saving work. It's an essential element for the good shepherd. So I ask you the question, who's your good shepherd? It's either the Lord Jesus Christ or it's a false shepherd. Every human being has a shepherd of one way or another. You know, ambition is a shepherd. Pleasure is a shepherd. Power and wealth are shepherds. They're not the good shepherd. And you see, anything in your life, even a good thing, even a good gift that you take and make your heart's precious desire over and above that of the greatest treasure, Jesus Christ, then that becomes an evil shepherd that will drive you and destroy you. It won't live for you. It certainly won't die for you. But it'll take you all the way down to hell, and there it will not suffer for you. And you see, the reality of this is anyone who is enslaved by one of the three unholy enemies of God's people, the fallen world, the fallen flesh, and Satan and his followers, any of these, they, they easily fall under the false teaching of the false shepherds that serve the world, the flesh, and the devil. And sadly, we see the reality of this even in the visible church of today. There are false shepherds who tell their flock, even today, that unbridled sexual life is no big deal. Because God wants you to be you. That's a lie of the false shepherd. There are false shepherds today who tell their flocks that, you know, the drive for power and wealth, it doesn't really matter how you get it, because when you do, you can use it for good. That's a lie of the false shepherd. And there are false shepherds today that are both enslaved to ambition and promote it shamelessly at every avenue. They seek to see their name and their image in lights of the social media and the print media because, you know, narcissism is a false shepherd. It's a reality that enslaves and destroys. 
But the good shepherd comes. And he says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. I will live for you. I will suffer for you. I will die for you. I will clothe you in my righteousness. I will give you forgiveness. And this good shepherd, he bears the marks of that reality. The Lord Jesus, high and exalted at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, in his glorified eternal body, still bears the scars of the five wounds that he suffered to save his people. But you know, the infinite soul wounds of our Savior that he received in eternal hell on the cross to take away our sin, we can't even begin to understand what that must have been like. But all of that came together so that he could crush Satan's head and overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he could satisfy God's holy justice that we might know righteous peace before the Lord. He's the good shepherd. He's the lion lamb. He's salvation. Well, he embodies salvation. He affects salvation. He is the Lord of glory. And finally, this morning, Christ is the good shepherd because he faithfully brings his people all the way home to glory. Hallelujah. He embodies salvation. He affects salvation. But the Lord Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, he doesn't leave any loose ends. Because we experience salvation, we enter into salvation through the gift of faith and the Holy Spirit clinging to Christ. But then the good shepherd is about bringing us all the way home through a life of sanctification. He gets us to glory. That's what he declares to us in verse 10. The good shepherd does this by bringing about the abundant life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Man, I like that word, abundant. I'm not a big fan of skimpy. I don't know about you, but abundant sounds good. It sounds nice. It is good to have abundance. Well, through our personal relationship with the Good Shepherd that's rooted in his body, the church, we enjoy the abundant life all the way home that is wrapped up in a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. You know, if you're going to have a relationship with somebody, you have to know them and they have to know you. Well, this abundant life begins and it carries on in the Good Shepherd's distinct knowledge. We see that right here in verse 14. The Good Shepherd knows his own. I'm the Good Shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. You know, Christmas is all about the greatest love story in the history of the universe. And this language that he uses right here, I know my own and my own know me, this is love language. It's intimate. It's personal. It's glorious. He knows his people. He counts them one by one. He's intimately aware of your needs and your heart, your desire, your fears, your joys. He loves you. He knows you. Well, he also feeds his own. That's how he brings us all the way home. This is so important. The good shepherd feeds his own. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out 
and fine pasture. See, Jesus provides distinct provisions. That's another word I like. Abundant provisions. He gives us the provisions of his word. In Jeremiah chapter 3, the Lord declares, I will give them pastures according to my heart. The good shepherd gives us pastures to feed in. You know, the word pastor is the Latin word for shepherd. And as God's under shepherds, we're called to feed the sheep by the grace of the Lord. And we have a whole lot of pastures. From Genesis to Revelation are all pastures. And the Lord calls us to feed upon his person and his work and the glory of his coming and his return from Genesis to Revelation as his people. So we behold the reality of his promise and we behold the reality of his redemptive work and we behold the reality of his great love for us and we feed upon Christ line by line, verse by verse, throughout all of his special revelation. That's the glory of the pastures of the Lord for his people. So I ask you the question, do you hear the dinner bell? It's the Lord's day. It's the day to get fat on Jesus for free because we gather together in his name. We hear his word read and preached and prayed and sung and we're headed to the table where we experience his word and the eating and the drinking of the bread and the cup. And when we see a baptism, we remember the promise to cleanse us, the water of life, the provision that we need. And hallelujah, we have the pasture of prayer. As we take in all of God's promises, we pray, we, we unburden our hearts as we lift them up to the Lord in prayer. That's a pasture. Are you enjoying the pastures of prayer? Well, Christ calls us. We must feed upon him and we must point others to him. And that's why it's so important to be about this as a family, the family of God and your individual family. We lead the little children to the pastures. Tonight's going to be a pasture. Lessons and carols, to hear the word, to sing praise as a family of God, to point the children to Christ. Well, how else does Jesus bring his people all the way home? The good shepherd leads his own. That's what we see in verses 3 and 16. He leads his home, he leads his own home distinctively by his distinctive voice. We didn't read it, but I'll read it now. Verse 3, the, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And he declares in verse 16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. The distinct voice of the good shepherd. You know, I grew up in the heart of Peachtree City in the middle of the burbs on Appleseed Court. It doesn't get more Mayberry than, than that, does it? You know, growing up in Peachtree City, living on Appleseed Court. Well, my neighborhood was filled up with boys my age. And we delighted to play all day, every day. And we would play well past the sunset. But lo and behold, it always happened, one by one, each boy would hear a distinct voice. 
Timothy, it's time to come home. That was my mom. And I went on home. If you were the first one, you were embarrassed. But you see, Jesus has this distinct voice as the good shepherd, and his people hear it, and they know it. As we heard beautifully sung, Psalm 23, he leads me through the valley of death. He leads his own all the way home. And of course, his distinct voice goes out broadly. He has one big, beautiful, diverse flock that hears the one voice of the good shepherd and comes together in his one body. And this is the good news, brothers and sisters. When you have nowhere else to go, the good shepherd will always call you home and lead you home by his voice. Amen. Well, how else does the good shepherd bring his people all the way home? He protects us. This is so important. The good shepherd protects his own. At the end of this chapter, verses 27 through 30, we see the distinct power and provision of the good shepherd's protection for his people. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus is the good shepherd because he loves his sheep. He is not the hireling. He doesn't run away when the wolves come. He protects his flock. And ultimately the way that he protected his flock is he, he endured the painful, shameful death upon the cross for sinners like you and me that we might be able to stand before holy God and not be afraid. And if we're not afraid of holy God because we are wrapped in the righteousness of Christ, then we don't need to be afraid of unholy men. Jesus protects his people and brings them all the way home. So what? Maybe you're saying, so what? Well, I don't think this kind of a message is a so what. It's a so who. Who is your good shepherd? Who is your shepherd? Do you hear the voice of Jesus calling you? My sheep know my voice, he says. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never heard the voice of the good shepherd, but you're hearing something now. Don't delay. Call upon his name. In your heart, in your soul, confess him. Cling to him, seek him, he'll cleanse you, he'll forgive you, he'll refresh you. You know, I love all the voice activation stuff. Technology is cool, right? Voice activation, it's everywhere now, and a lot of times it doesn't work quite right, but it's still cool. But it dawned on me, the gospel is the most glorious voice activation that there's ever been, because the voice goes forth, the call. And how do we respond? Voice activation. Jesus. And the door of eternity opens up to us. Salvation, life, the promise of a new name, a new nature, a new status, a new record, a new inheritance, a new life. 
and the promise that I'll never leave you and I will never forsake you as we exercise the gift of living faith, just even feather faith. Jesus, my good shepherd. So I ask you, brothers and sisters, for us who are in Christ, how do we glorify the good shepherd? How do we see him magnified throughout the days of our lives? Just four quick applications. First, by growing more and more content in him. You know, by growing less as complaining sheep and more as content sheep. And we do that by looking to him, looking to his promises, studying him, enjoying him, sitting at his feet, being content with our Savior. Secondly, by growing more and more confident in him, confident in his ability to provide and to protect us. You know, our lives bear the, the providential fingerprints of God all over them. And as we look at the reality that he is provided for us and protected us in the past and he's doing it today won't he do it in the future and as we do that we grow more confident in him to the praise of his glory well thirdly by growing more and more attentive to him we sit at his feet and we turn the volume up on jesus and we turn the volume hopefully off on the world and we focus upon our Savior and not all that droning nonsense out there. And we're attentive to the word of promise, the words of warning, the words of love, the words of life. As we do that, we shine with the glory of his grace in our hearts and lives. And this final application will just flow by growing more and more obedient to him. As we look at our good and glorious shepherd, we see all that he's done for us. We offer up our hearts and our lives and our obedience as a thank you to his grace. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Almighty, we thank you so much for your loving kindness, for the glorious great I am statements that confront us with the truth that you are God, our Savior. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would lead us ever closer as we come to your table and eat and drink with you by faith. Bless us now, we pray. Amen.